0: Hi, my name is Chanel Utley-Allen, and you're listening to Caribbean Booth Stories. Welcome. There's never been a podcast that focuses on Caribbean women from all walks of life, narrating their journey of giving birth, navigating self-care postpartum, and parenting across our beautiful region. Now there is. Caribbean Booth Stories is committed to providing a space for honest, non-judgmental conversations. Fostering a supportive community of listeners inspired to share and act on the resources born out of every episode. Do enjoy. Welcome to today's episode of Caribbean Booth Stories. We have a mixed bag of emotions today, so consider this your warning. Andrea de Matas is a manager of legal services at a financial institution in Trinidad and Tobago. I've met her a couple times in passing as we share a mutual friend. Every time I've been in her company, she has always been gracious, polite, and jovial. Perhaps because most of these meetups are at our annual Panorama semifinals in the Queen's Park Savannah
1: (laughs) during the carnival season,
0: where quite frankly, everyone is jovial. Um, However, upon listening to my podcast, a mutual friend reached out to me and said, Andrea would be perfect for this podcast. She said, and I quote, Andrea and I have been friends for a long time, but our friendship really went deeper maybe about six years ago. I honestly believe that God guided us together. For the past six to seven years, we have journeyed together through what I think was the most difficult time in both our lives. I was with her throughout her entire struggle, and to see her depth of faith, grit, and immeasurable strength was inspiring. I am truly blessed to have her as my friend, end quote. Let's listen to Andrea's story. Hi, Andrea.
1: Hi, Chanel. Thank you for having me today. And by the emotions, um, reading that little introduction that my dear friend sent me made me feel to tear up already.
0: <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, I'm Very sorry, touching but words. I just had That's to. Right. She, and this is Nicole that we're talking about. She just was determined to have you on this podcast because she just feels like your story is one that needs to be heard um, and that you're willing to share. And I am so grateful that you have agreed to be a part of this. So thank you.
1: And thank you for having me. I'm very honored to be here as
0: well. Okay. So based on that introduction, I can kind of assume that your journey to motherhood wasn't a straight line, right? (laughs) So yes. Yes. Yeah. So, give us give us an idea of how you became a mother. What did your journey look like?
1: Well, my journey was very bumpy, um, as people mm-hmm. would, you know, to, to to put it to put it mildly. Yeah. Um. I. I mean. I never. We first. Well, I still first started sort of trying um, my husband and I in 2015, I believe, mm-hmm. and ironically enough, we got pregnant immediately. Um, okay. No, it, there was there was no delay in getting pregnant. We got pregnant quite quickly, and I had, for the most of the better parts, an uncomplicated pregnancy, other than a usual morning sickness. Pro- it progressed quite well. Right. Um, to just to put it in a summary, um, basically, this is how it went. Pregnant, stillbirth, secondary infertility, miscarriage, pregnant. And now I have my Rainbow son who was born on March 27, 2020. Wow. Um my both my pregnancies were rife with a lot of complications. Um, and I think what threw me for a loop or what completely um I, it felt, I mean, immediately when these stillbirth happen, obviously you feel like the, your world just got, you know, you. I tell everybody it feels like you had a rug pulled out from underneath you and you fell sl- like face first into a pile of cement. Yeah. And um, that was, I mean, that was one thing to deal with. But then when we decided to start back trying within a year, nothing was happening. And yeah. we, there was no explanation. We had no idea. And it was just, it was like salt in the wound where, mm-hmm. okay, you, 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 you lost a baby, now you're trying for another one and you can't get pregnant. So, right. I mean, in brief, I mean, it's honestly pregnancy and um, getting pregnant was, it is the biggest um, challenge of my life. Yes. It was the most difficult thing I've ever had to go through.
0: Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about your first pregnancy. So you said yeah. the actual pregnancy was uncomplicated for the most part yes when did um yeah no so when did it just become a little bit more complicated I should say
1: uh my pregnancy went fairly uneventful normal morning sickness nausea and then at about um 24 weeks I started to feel a lot of pressure and pain down there right um I went to the doctor um for, for women, please, you all get your annual Pap smear. It's very important. It can save your life. In 2012, I did have um, precancerous cells in my cervix, and I had to do a leap procedure, which is one of the leading causes of an incompetent cervix, which basically means that your body cannot carry the weight of the baby's even grows. So 24 weeks, um, felt a lot of pain, went to the doctor who was the same doctor that did delete procedure on me and, Mm -hmm. um, confirmed that my cervix started funneling. And basically I was six months pregnant and my cervix had funneled to where somebody who's eight months pregnant.
0: Right.
1: Um, basically said, you know, if your baby is born now, you know, our NICUs are not in a, in any, you know, condition to save the life of a 24 weeker. so you would, I would strongly suggest you hop on a plane and you go to the United States and you make your baby away. Um, I was, I mean, I was in a lot of pain and I just wasn't comfortable with traveling. So I did get a second and a third opinion. Mm -hmm. And I was told um, that where my cervix had funneled, if I did go on a plane, I would probably have the baby on the plane. Okay. Um, so I basically had to, uh, one of the doctors who gave me his opinion, he agreed to put in a cervical stitch for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's basically where they, they basically sew your cervix shut to close yeah. it and mm-hmm. to come early. And he did that for me at week 26, after being on bed rest for about a, a week and a half, lying upside down to get my daughter Zoe off my cervix. Mm-hmm. And then I went on bed rest and at week 30, um, completely unbeknownst to me, I developed preeclampsia. Mm-hmm. So, I don't. I mean, preeclampsia basically is a combination of high blood pressure and high um, levels of protein in your urine, which can completely havoc on all of your organs, kill mm-hmm. you, and kill the baby. Yeah. I didn't know I, I didn't have any of these symptoms like swelling I didn't have blurred vision I was just I went for a routine checkup um, at the doctor's visit and at 30 weeks they told me that they couldn't find he told me that there was no heartbeat and I had to sleep overnight get up the next day go to ultra technician and then they confirmed that you know she had died inside of me maybe about two days ago and um, I had to deliver her and she was born on the 3rd of February 2016 so mm-hmm. in a nutshell, those were the two main challenges that I, I encountered while I, during my first pregnancy.
0: Yeah. Now, tell me a little bit about the actual bed rest, because I think people think, oh, you know, well, it's just bed rest. You're just lying down. But you, were, you had to build up your bed, basically. Yes. Uh, um, so there's so ta- of tell me bed about rest.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, there's different types of bed rest. Um, Where My situation was that um, walking around and and doing housework and that kind of thing was just not allowed. And I did end up having bed rest for both pregnancies. So with my son, I was on bed rest for a full nine months. Um, My bed rest was the extreme, well, my bed rest with my daughter was where I had to, they had to prop bricks at the bottom of the bed. So basically I was tilted in this direction with my head Mm -hmm. being here and my leg yeah so that way gravity wouldn't have had her resting on my cervix
0: yeah
1: uh, because the stitch went in so late typically a cervical stitch goes in between 12 and 14 weeks pregnancy okay and i had in at 26 yeah. so it was pretty extreme um the first pregnancy um right. i was do housework it was just get up use the bathroom take a sponge bath go right back in bed yeah. Um, was the extent of my everything bed. lying down? Everything. Brush my teeth. My husband brought a, 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 a you know a basin where I had to brush my teeth by the bed. Um, you know it. It, um, it was just. It was very drastic. Yes. And I was like, that for six weeks. I'm surprised I didn't get heartburn. Should be told. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Okay. So I mean, with all of that, you did suffer the loss of a baby. How did. did you cope?
1: well um it was a combination of things um I think the first thing that helped me was reaching out to um uh, two of my friends who I knew it happened to okay. um I think this way where sharing your story is so important so one of my school friends she's in England but she experienced her baby loss in England and when she heard what happened to me she immediately reached out it's like we have a little fraternity yeah women that suffer loss we all kind of you know pool together to help each other through difficult times so wow. she reached out to me and um she was a show like a cry on hi sabrina if you're hearing this i love you very much <laughs> um Also, I started going for counseling, which was um, work-sponsored. And then Mama Toto has a group therapy session once a month where women who experience miscarriages, baby loss, they can go. um, It used to be once every Thursday, but I believe now it's once every Saturday. And, you know, going and hearing other women share about their losses and their grief. That um, And finally, well, my faith in God, quite frankly, um, Mm -hmm. you know, typically when tragedy happens, you know, two things either happen, either you become bitter, or you become better. But, right. you know, having a very strong foundation, um, growing up, you know, my parents were, you know, very strong in their faith. And, you know, in, in desperate times, I, I I, ran that way, as opposed yes. to the other day. You know? yes. So it was like, and of course, my husband, who, you know, um, was my rock through all this period of time. I mean, him alone going through his own grief of losing his own daughter, yeah. a lot of times men are forgotten in these mm-hmm. situations. He, yes. he became he became sometimes the only person I could talk to about it because, yes. you know, in, in the beginning, everybody's like, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss, but as time passes, you realize you're the only one left to deal with this. Nobody can really understand what you're going through. You have to deal with all the process, all the emotions and your thoughts all by yourself, you know, so... Yes. It was a combination of counseling, group therapy, friends who had a similar, had the same experiences I did, and God that brought me through a period of loss followed by a period of
0: secondary infertility while I was going through everything. Right. So talk to me about this secondary infertility. Yes. When when did you realize, okay, we're struggling to get pregnant?
1: So mm-hmm. six weeks after I delivered my daughter, um, I started suffering with severe menstrual—well, cr- severe cramps. Let me just right. say menstrual, because mm-hmm. I thought it was normally part of it was part of you know being postpartum, and um, it just wasn't going away. So I went back to the doctor that um, had helped me with my daughter and put me on the mm-hmm. bed rest and put my cervical stitch, did ultrasounds. I eventually went to like four different gynecologists because. Mm-hmm from six weeks after delivering her until I had surgery in 2019, almost every single day I was experiencing men- um, abdominal cramps mm. and nobody could figure it out. I've been for ultrasounds, blood tests,
0: MRIs. There was no explanation. And Let me put a pin in it for one second, Andrea, because talk to me about delivering your daughter, how they had to induce you. And, yes. Right. Yes. Because you had to have a full delivery.
1: Yes. So yes. Yeah. So people don't realize um, you know, when you have a when you're delivering a baby that's still born, you still have to have a delivery and you have everything that goes along with that. So they gave me the option of allowing me, allowing myself to deliver her naturally or to be induced. And I selected to be induced. I couldn't personally put myself through that knowing that she'd already passed away inside of me. And I just, I wanted to just, you know. Just to have her out. And so next, that same day, I went into a private hospital. They hooked me up. They induced me like normal. I had a normal delivery um, due to the incompetent cervix. It went quite quickly, truth be told, um, in comparison to other babies who are stillborn. Um, Typically, stillborn, um, when you deliver a stillborn baby, it's actually worse. Um, Normally, a live baby wiggles its way and assists in the the delivery. When you have a stillborn baby, there's no assistance from the baby itself. Mm Um, I suppose it, as a, it was a blessing in disguise that I had an incompetent civics because it went it went fairly quickly. I mean, she was born in maybe about about three or four hours of active okay. labor. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, to be induced, hospital. Um, I will use this opportunity to discuss, and I think that's one of the things I want to advocate for change the way that she was dealt with and presented to my family. Okay. True. To- well, it was it's one of the things that I I've I've strived to change and I did have gotten a few of the government hospitals to change the way that women who have stillborn babies are treated okay um you know I, I don't think I, I don't think people re, I don't think the medical and I would say in Trinidad because I know a way it's, it's different I don't mm-hmm. think they realize that women who deliver stillborn babies is still a baby a baby yeah. that belongs family mm-hmm. and they should be the babies should be treated with the same courtesy they should be wiped down they should be washed they should be wrapped and they should be presented yes. you know to the family um as if it was a live baby it, mm-hmm. it helps with the breathing process you know Correct. And, um, it did traumatize my family the way she was presented in the hospital I mean she was placed in a um like a basin they didn't wipe her down they didn't clean her off or anything like that Mm. You know, and, and needless to say, looking back on it now, I mean, I wish I had pictures of my yeah. daughter in a presentable, you know, condition. Um, you know, that she was wrapped and, and and wiped down. And you know, um, it does help with the grieving process. So, you know, I I think it's important for all hospitals. I didn't even have a baby blanket because I mean, when they told me that she'd passed away, I was in such a, a state of for shock, sure. which I think yes, yes which women who've gone through this, you know you don't even know how to process the information. I didn't even walk with a baby bag. I just went to the hospital, mm-hmm. you know, and I i I wish you know somebody had given me that guidance. I didn't even have a blanket, so, we did start a non-profit organization called Blossom Baby Loss Organization in Support of Memories, where we do donate baby blankets to hospitals, and we ask them specifically for oh, women who have had stillborn babies to give it to them, let them wrap their babies in, and they can take pictures so they can remember their 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 their, their, their children.
0: You oh, know that's beautiful, beautiful like foundation to start, yeah. and yeah. um. So are you doing it to, for all um of the public hospitals in Trinidad yeah. or?
1: Yes, okay. uh, I mean obviously donations have slowed down but we, we've we made uh, we've made contributions to Mount Hope um, to Port of Spain right. uh, we we were trying to get in touch with you know down at San Fernando and so on but I mean things have been on hold right now and then of course when I got pregnant and I had to go on bed rest you know things just kind of took a back you know, because I was always, I was on bed rest my entire
0: pregnancy you know <laughs> but we had quite a few, uh, few donations as well okay yeah. that's really admirable yeah. let's go to now you're having abdominal cramps. Yes. And yes. So that's where it kind of dis- disrupted you. <laughs> um,
1: so I was having abdominal cramps and um I was just determined to figure out what was going on with me because every month, you know, I'm in chronic pain and then I not getting pregnant. Right. Um, We started trying about it. Well, ironically enough, when we started trying, Zika was around. Oh. So we were told to hold off a little bit. And then in November of 2016 we started trying and then there was radio silence and mm-hmm. abdominal pain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you I you still didn't... experiencing your period though? Yes, everything was normal. I was getting period. It just, I've always had ovulation pain, but now the pain shifted to, actually my periods got easier, but mm. my pain was just right through the month up until my period. Mm. It actually was the reverse.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So eventually in, well, I did have a miscarriage, we did get get pregnant in 2018 of May after using Clomid Mm -hmm. and that resulted in a miscarriage. And then eventually in 2019 of February, I was, the pain got so bad, I couldn't even, you know, function and operate. And I said, no, something is wrong. And I had an appointment with another OBGYN who looked quite shocked and, and quite frankly, Um, confused as to my condition. I didn't know what was wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then eventually I'd actually gone back to the doctor, um, Dr. Perkins. I love you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He dealt with me while I had my miscarriage in 2018. And then I just, I just said, you know, I I just remembered very clearly sitting at my office desk and saying, God, please help me. I don't know what's wrong with me. I I can't take this pain anymore. And I just heard very clearly called Dr. Perkins. He Mm -hmm. saw me immediately that day and he scheduled a laparoscopic surgery which i had in april 2019 thinking i had endometriosis
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, he discovered that i had polycystic ovaries and i didn't know that i had polycystic ovaries my entire life right. um in during the surgery i did have a few cysts were filling up with blood which was mm-hmm. the cause of the increase in the in the pain in Fail. february 2019 mm-hmm. yes um, with that diagnosis, um, I was able to make contact with one of my, my cousins who's a labor and delivery nurse in Florida. And she was able to prescribe for me letrozole and because apparently I'm COVID resistant, um, which is something happens for some women who are, have polycystic ovaries, um, okay. and, um, letrozole and metformin. And my very first try in July, 2019, after taking one run of taking the drugs, we got pregnant with my son. Wow. So ladies, I would like to encourage you to advocate for yourself. Yes. I mean, most times you go to the doctor and I mean, I was told by at least two doctors that the, my pain in my, uh, my womb was psychological, psychological because of the loss of my daughter. You know, your body, you know, something is wrong. You don't stop until you get answers. Okay. Correct. So now that I know that I have polycystic ovaries, um, it explains my whole life why I suffer with severe cramps, why, no, I never, I never had typical, um, symptoms where you don't see your periods. I always right. had very regular periods, very but I had all, I had a lot of other symptoms. I had oily skin, I had acne, you know, dealing with it my whole life. Um, you know, and of course, without an infertility is, which I didn't know, um, that nice. I had. Yes. So, you know, ladies advocate for yourself, you know, something's wrong you know, push until you get your gut.
0: Yep. -hmm. Yep. And you got pregnant with your son. I got
1: pregnant with my son.
0: Yes. And that pregnancy, how did that one go?
1: Well, needless to say, um, physically, um, it went a lot better than my first pregnancy primarily because of course they all, the doctor that, so of course I switched doctors, um, Dr liver anymore. And they put me on to my awesome doctor. I love you, Dr. Quinlan. You're the best. <laughs> um, they put me on to him. And mm-hmm. because of my um, history, he was able to be prophylactic with my, his approach in treating with me. Yes. Um, he, so because of my history, I went on baby aspirin um, mm-hmm. for the preeclampsia. I had a stitch put in at 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. I went on bed rest um, for the full length of my pregnancy. Um, I also had to take claxine because mm-hmm. there was um I had a they weren't sure, but I had I was, I, they was suspected that I had anti phospholipid syndrome. <laughs> so okay. yeah, so for those who don't know, basically APS is a blood clotting disorder. And mm-hmm. for a lot of women, it manifests itself during pregnancy, where your body recognizes the baby's placenta as a foreign object, so it's not attacking the mm-hmm. placenta. Um after my first, after losing my my daughter, I um they did suspect it due to the condition of the hum- umbilical cord. There was a lot of blood clots, a lot of mm. um, calcification. So I was sent for testing, and my, lupo- my lupus anticoagulant was a little high. Okay. So they wanted to make sure that you know that didn't happen in the second pregnancy, so I had to inject myself with clexin every
0: day. And uh um, is a blood thinner for those who don't know. It, yes, it,
1: yes, it, and it's it's specifically for pre- it's it's safe for pregnant women to use. Um, right, specifically mm-hmm. for people who are right right. Um, and at twenty weeks, I oh, full-on hypertension came on. I don't know if it was wow. because. Yeah, I know. Needless to say, I mean, honestly, channel the my the 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 anxiety and the PTSD was insane. Yeah. Right. I yeah. held my breath. Could you could you hold on one second?
0: Yes. Bye. How's my husband? <laughs> <laughs> I Darius, yes. yes. <laughs> I, I had to inject it twice a day with that same class. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I, I just, oh, once, a day. once a day, yeah. Once yeah, a day, yeah. 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 And it's, it's pretty, a painful injection. Yeah. Oh, 100%. My whole stomach was black and blue, like, you know,
1: but um, the things mothers do for their children anyway. Correct. Um. Yeah. So then my, my hypertension, full blown hypertension came on, um, gestational hypertension came on at 20 weeks and I had to start high blood pressure medication followed by anxiety attacks, heart Mm. racing, you know, it, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life, um, at 26 weeks, um, you know, I did talk about to my doctor about the possibility of going away right? because I mean, I've since, I mean, from since 2016 to now, I've known friends who've had to go, you know, any NICUs here, there's a 50, 50 chance babies come out alive. And I mean, I I took so long to get pregnant and being almost 40, I knew this was my last ditch effort to have a baby. Right. So I with him you know going away and he said go away and God bless my sister. Um she worked at a very a good hospital in Florida and mm-hmm. I left on the 13th of January 2020 to have my son at 26 weeks pregnant where nice. I finished the rest of my pregnancy and he was born in Florida in the end of March, five days after the border closure. <laughs> Dream. oh my gosh when is <laughs> yes, his birthday I was, out. I was locked out of the country as well
0: literally yes literally, yes. yes oh my yes. gosh so March what was his is his birthday 27th of okay
1: 2020, March 2020 yes okay um, wow I I did have to I got excellent care away uh-huh. I mean continued my treatment program that my doctor here had set up for me and um they did induce me at 37 weeks two days um tell me why off. tell me why they induced you yes okay so basically with all my complications um particularly when you have uh when you have a history of preeclampsia and i also i had high blood pressure mm-hmm. they do not wait until you go into labor naturally okay. because your risk of having the baby still born again rises okay um, basically the longer your your baby stays in your body with those conditions as you greater to your chance of your baby dying inside of you so yes. their goal was just get me to 37 weeks and once I'm there take the baby okay. uh you know so and then my husband he he made it right before they closed oh, the border oh god to see our son born you know um I will say that that pregnancy I had to go for counseling and therapy um PTSD uh, oh postpartum.
0: Yes. Okay. yes.
1: And, um, and, 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 um, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, which of course happened with my first pregnancy, which a lot of uh, people, I mean, uh, people don't talk about it, but when you talk to women who've uh, pregnant after loss, um, that's what they deal with. They deal yes. with anxiety. Um, And post-traumatic stress, which is what my doctor here told me, said, you need to go for counseling because you're not going to be able to handle this pregnancy mentally if you don't get help. All right. So um, when my high blood pressures went, when my pressure went up and, you know, I was diagnosed with gestational hypertension at 20 weeks, I immediately went for help because I also knew um, that the anxiety was also a big part. Part of it. my blood pressure going up. Yeah. Yes. You know, you know. Yes.
0: And then with this month, so when we're, we're recording this in May, so maternal mental health awareness, this yes. is just totally like important that we discuss this right now because, like you said, a lot of us don't talk about it. We feel the, like, I didn't even know about postpartum anxiety until after I had my son. And I realized I was doing things that just was not me but it totally was related to the fact that i'd had this baby and i was now experiencing strange symptoms in my mind well at the time it didn't seem strange but my husband would say to me why are you acting this way you know and i just felt overwhelmed easily just totally anxious about everything unnecessarily and yeah. you know i never thought i could feel that way about you know having had a baby or anything like that so I am glad that you're, I'm interviewing you now because you, you're touching on so many important points about mental health for, yes. the, for the mother. This is just crucial. So you sought counseling and was yes. that easy for you to, to access or you had yes. to kind of um, yes. Okay. No. Um, um, I,
1: I always tell people God doesn't give you challenges without giving you support. So mm-hmm. one of my very best friends, she's a psychotherapist. Okay. Uh, hi, Stacey. Uh, she, I immediately, when I realized what was going on, um, you know, during the pregnancy, um, you know, that I, by my anxiety was through the roof and I I literally couldn't breathe for mm-hmm. like 40 weeks, you know, about 37, two weeks and two days. I reached out to her. She had just, my group, she had just moved to Bali, but thank God for the internet and yes. Skype. I was able to conduct my sessions with her online. And I mean, it was, it's different um, how she treated me because she treated me as a post-traumatic stress um, victim. Mm-hmm. So a uh, patient with that, because mm-hmm. it, it's, it's in my particular situation, Although having, a, experiencing a stillbirth triggered in me as anxiety, and, and for people who don't realize, women who have polycystic ovaries are predisposed to having severe anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. which I didn't realize until after was my, I was diagnosed sort started reading about my diagnosis. So mm-hmm. I've always been a very anxious person prior, but mm-hmm. then throw in a stillbirth Throw yes. in infertility Fertility. and then mm-hmm. another pregnancy, and my anxiety was through the roof. Yeah. And I will tell you, um, funnily enough, you should talk about postpartum anxiety because it was on my list of things to mention to you today because I'm still struggling with postpartum anxiety and it's been over a year I had my son. Yeah. Right. And I'm still getting counseling for that mm-hmm. because, as you rightly said, I mean, my, I, I have been functioning basically a, a, a high level of anxiety for so long. I didn't yes. know how to come down, no. know that it's over, quote unquote. Yes. How do I bring my brain back down to functioning pre all of that? And the answer is you don't. You just mm. learn to manage it because uh. my brain has now, it's like muscle memory. My brain has now functioning this way. So I'm now trying to re- reprogram my reprogram. brain. Reprogram, yes. yes. To 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 you know not go straight to that state of anxiety all the time so I'm still mm-hmm. actually getting counseling for it you know um and yeah, thank you so, for sharing
0: that just being oh so open
1: sure with us. yeah sure um, people think that mm-hmm, just but, counseling it doesn't mean that you know something's wrong with you you need to ask for help if you're not having a hard time
0: and so you had your babe they induced you in Florida you had your baby vaginally or did they have to do a C-section? Vaginally okay and everything went smoothly with that
1: Yep. It was completely anticlimactic. (laughs) Isn't that the irony of life? (laughs) I actually tell people my my childbirth was actually quite a very calming experience. Um, Really? um, Yes. My blood pressure didn't go up once. (laughs) Miracle of miracles. Yeah. And um, they induced me, I think, to what they realized with with my case, because my anxiety was out of control. um, They recommended an epidural for me, which helped a lot. Yes. It brought, a settle, it brought a sense of control back into the delivery room um mm-hmm. also booking the c-section was also you know mentally calming for me because I didn't like an idea of me going into labor and panic home and grab bag and what's going on like you see on the tv which I don't really think yes <laughs> but,
0: that's what we all have in our head mm-hmm.
1: yeah I know but I mean I, I didn't want to have my water break at home and you know where I yes. was I was living in relation to the hospital was kind of fun, you know, having putting everything as much as in control as possible. It was calming for me. Um, I had a very quick. I did hospital actually said my record. I had a record for um induction deliveries and really, yeah, but incompetent cervix. You know. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> they, they took all this stitch, and by a week passed, and by the time I went in for induction, my cervix was already three centimeters funnelled oh, as wow. well. So. You know, um, uh, the epidural, I everything kind of progressed pretty quickly. I checked in at mm-hmm. 3 p.m. on the Thursday and he was born at 5 a.m. the next day. So,
0: yeah, that's pretty um, quick. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The time I, my, my, they burst my water bag, um, my mm-hmm. water, uh, my, so from the time they burst that till he was born, could have been five hours. Right. So it's pretty quickly, you know. Okay. Um, and no pain. Really okay. epidurals. Yes. Good. Yes.
0: The epidural was working. Very good. It can feel my legs the next day, but you know, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, well, that's what we're going to go into now. Yes. Nice segue. We're going to in postpartum and yes. how you navigated that whole postpartum experience. Describe for me any challenges that you experience.
1: Yes. So that's another thing. A lot of women don't talk about. Um, <laughs> I, I would say I had maybe three or four. First off, um, breastfeeding was really hard. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of women realize, they think, okay, well, you have breasts and they're God-given way to feed your baby, but latching, um, the pain involved, the mm-hmm. bleeding um, mm-hmm. I did not enjoy the experience at all. Um, this yeah. is not a judge. There's a judgment free zone. Everybody has yes. their own experience. Mm-hmm. I did try. Um, I, I, what I was, what I was very grateful for was my pediatrician in Florida. She was, she was very open and you know, okay. I was experiencing a lot of anxiety about him not getting any, f- enough food. Not he food. was very small because of the high blood pressure, you know, and it was just triggering my anxiety. And And she said, listen, if you have a breast pump, you can start expressing milk and feeding him in the bottle. And mm-hmm. at two weeks I started doing that. And he enjoyed express breast milk for seven months until mm-hmm. it dried up. I don't think people realize how a, a breastfeeding is something that you really have to commit to mm-hmm. and so it's something that you realize that you don't, your time is not your own anymore because you're literally a food station for the baby. So yeah. you, can't, you can't go bathe or, you know, I mean, it was as simple as that or go to the grocery and pick up something to eat, you know, to eat or step out. You know, you have to make sure that you come back in time to feed the baby, you know. And um I, it, for me personally, it was, um it was not something that, you know, it, it was very restricting and I didn't know that in addition to it being very painful, um, yeah. I never, everybody kept talking about, you know, the nipples will get accustomed, but I, it never did for me. And right. I always said the latching was more painful
0: than the delivery. Yeah. That's
1: my experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, so, that initial latch. Oh my. Did mm. You should come up with epidurals for your breast? <laughs> I, yeah, I just remember that in the initial stages, just literally like holding your breath, like, okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Take a deep breath. Yeah. And, the pain I experienced second degree tears, um, mm-hmm. and I did not realize. I mean, you have a woman tearing, but the actual physical pain that you're in down there, um, no, no, I my god, I, I literally remembered one time I was in the bathroom and I took my fist and I slammed it into the wall and I just started screaming because just to sit down in the bathroom and, and urinate. Mm. the burning sensation that you get down there you literally see stars and I had no like I was not prepared for that at all yeah um even just having a bowel movement, I mean Mm. yeah you just you just you hold it in because you're so scared to push because of the pain you know um I, I think I tell all my friends who don't have kids and they're thinking about it. So it's like, if you don't have a, if you don't have a C-section, just be prepared that down there is going to be an extreme pain for at least six weeks to two months.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Sitz baths help Epsom mm-hmm. salts and mm-hmm. witch hazel pads, they did health. Yeah. And it, eventually it does go, but I think I was completely shocked. I, I yeah. was not
0: that at all. Now, um, Tommy, did they do an animal before your induction? No. Okay. There was no anemone, and there was no episiotomy. They didn't slip me. Right.
1: Um, help so back. you they tore just,
0: naturally and they I stitched you naturally. up. Yes. Second degree tears. Yes. Okay. Uh, I know it's not generally given, but I know some, some OBGYNs prefer it over others. And for instance, so my OBGYN likes to give it simply because he feels like the first bowel movement is always the most difficult after you've had a baby. Because like you said, if you tear and you're in pain, the last thing you want to do is have a bowel movement or imagine anything coming out from anywhere else. <laughs> so oh, yeah. he, he kind of <laughs> thinks that it's like a flush out. So he will flush you out. So that yeah. your first movement is pretty easy. But needless to say, I progressed too quickly, so I couldn't even get the animal. So all I was thinking of, after i had this baby is oh my gosh this first bowel movement and in the, the hospital they want you to have one before you leave <laughs> yes. and i'm like oh my god i'm i'm traumatized because i'm just yes. thinking how is this going to happen and how you know so so i totally traumatized, totally traumatized. understand what you mean yeah, yeah traumatized
1: and I go, people don't talk about it. You didn't know. You just, you know, my, my mom, I mean, she went through it four times. She didn't tell me oh. anything. I didn't know what to expect, you know? And mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, is this is what you did to have me. Like, wow. <laughs> and four <laughs> times, too. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh. You know? um I think those two from a physical standpoint was the two most jarring things that I was like oh my goodness I wish somebody mentioned this to me mm-hmm. and, um, immediately as well as you touched on postpartum anxiety my anxiety and it was strange because I actually expected it to be more on the baby um right. you know I was checking you know Having, knowing my experience, I thought I would have been freaked out that, you know, he would have had SIDS and, you know, I wasn't, it didn't come from there. It was just my mind. I was just completely Mm -hmm. anxious about everything. Mm -hmm. And I had terrible postpartum irritability. People don't talk about that, but you are so, you snap, you like, you literally sometimes feel like you're losing your mind. I mean, I always heard about postpartum depression, but I've never heard about the anxiety part or the irritability part. Yes. Yeah. And I think that coupled with lack of sleep and, you know, the whole bang, everything just Mm -hmm. was like a perfect storm, you know? Yes, yes. Uh, So those four things were like the hardest things for me postpartum.
0: And would you consider that you're recovered from your second pregnancy um, and then just your experience in general of being pregnant first and second time?
1: Um, Well, physically, yes, I am recovered. Unfortunately, I don't think I'll ever really be recovered from being pregnant. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, people talk about, you know, every pregnancy is different and, you know, um, each experience is different. Um, I tell people, it doesn't matter how many times you get pregnant, once you've Mm -hmm. experienced baby loss, you hold your breath for every pregnancy because you know, personally, that mm-hmm. not all the, you do all, not all pregnancies end up with you carrying a baby, no matter what the gestation that you're in. Yes. Yes. Um, it has left me with PTSD, um, which I'm still managing. And, um, mm-hmm. truth tr- be told, if I had other living children before I lost my daughter, I probably would not have gone back for another pregnancy. Right. It is literally the most difficult thing I've had to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, even if I have subsequent pregnancies, which at this point I don't think I would do um, because of my age and other factors, mm-hmm. um, it will be the same experience for me. It will right. be literally 37 or 40 weeks of holding my breath and yeah. trying to manage my anxiety. Mm-hmm. So no, um, from a mental standpoint, um, I, when I think about getting pregnant, I feel anxious yeah. <laughs> immediately. I just feel like, oh my goodness, I don't think I have, even though I really would love another child, I don't mm-hmm. think I have the mental wherewithal to go through another pregnancy again.
0: Right. And it, and having had that experience, what now, what would you tell your younger self?
1: I would tell my younger self that it would be, it is the most incredibly difficult thing that you had to do, but it rewards with the best. Mm-hmm. Um and notwithstanding everything that you have to go through stick with it mm-hmm. try you know your best and try your best to relax and continue to trust god i mean uh, i i don't know if my younger self would listen but you know at least i, I would tell her it, it would it's going to be okay you know right. mm-hmm. notwithstanding all the challenges that occurred over the four years, I would tell her that it would be okay and
0: try her best to relax. Although I know it's going to be really hard to do. Yeah. And then what was one piece of advice that you were given, um, during this whole, you know, four year journey of pregnancy loss, you know, infertility, getting pregnant again, having a baby. What's one piece of advice that has stuck with you has been the most memorable and the most useful
1: Um, Well, during my physical challenges and my complications, um, I would say advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, A very dear co-worker of mine, Um, she had similar situations with infertility struggles, et cetera. And, you know, she knew the pain that I was in and trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And she was like, don't take no for an answer. If you don't get a doctor who is not willing to listen to you, go find one who will. Somebody Mm -hmm. will be there to help you. You know, and so often sometimes we think, you know, if a doctor tells us something, we believe it without you know questioning things or maybe looking for somebody else who might help us right so um I definitely you know that was something that resonated with me and I'm still doing it today
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and also well now that I'm a mother one of the things I've been told and it's very true it's the when you have a baby the the years are short but the days are long soak yeah. it all up it, it does and I I can't believe my son is 13 months and I don't know where the time went I six know. of it was us being in lockdown
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> so, yes you know? yes when did you when were you able to return to trinidad with him
1: it's september 13th um um 2020, 2020. So exactly, yeah, yeah exactly six months almost uh, exactly to the day you know i um bo- um board, more or less borders was closed yeah
0: okay okay
1: time flies so quickly and i'm um, trying up everything um you know um one thing I will another advice that I that I did get um you know you know we have an old school way of you know don't fall asleep with baby in your hand you know I went through so much to have my son mm-hmm. if he wants to sleep with me I'm letting him because there's going to be a time where he doesn't want me to do that with him anymore and Correct. I'm so <laughs> yes. So I have a friend who told me, Andre, all of that, throw it out the window. Just yes. love on your son and because he's going to get big one day and you're going to have all, these all you're going to have, the yeah. keep loving up on him and rocking him to sleep and doing all the things that, you know, your parents you not to do. Not to do, yes. <laughs> out the window. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's fine. So, um, so just to wrap up, because, I mean, we just had this great conversation. I don't even want it to end, but I try and ask my guests to think of a song to describe okay. this experience and this journey. I don't know if you've well, had,
1: yes, if you can think did, of something. Yeah. Um. There's a song called Oceans by Hillsong United. Mm-hmm. Um, this is probably where I tear up a little bit. Mm-hmm.
0: Excuse me.
1: <sighs> that song, I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with motherhood really, but when I was on bed rest with my first pregnancy, that was a song that I played. I didn't know how the pregnancy was going to end up, and mm-hmm. um, of course, it ended up with her dying. And um, for some strange reason, it was a song that gave me a great comfort, um, mm-hmm. even though it had the opposite effects of, you know, what I was hoping for. Um, mm-hmm. It reminds me that, you know, life was never promised to be easy, you yes. know, but. If you have faith and trust, you know, whatever, whatever waters you get led through, you know, you will, God has a way of working it out. And so if I had to wrap up and look back at my entire journey of stillbirth, infertility and having my son, I would say that that song made out that journey represented, you know, um, it tied up everything neatly in a little bow, um, yeah. and wherever, you know, you if I'm walking out in the waters, you will be there for me and your grace will find me where I am, you mm-hmm. know. So that song, you know, can perfectly wrap up very neatly my whole journey of, you know, my journey to motherhood, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's Thank new- you. Yes. And Thank sorry you. for tearing.
0: But, you know, no. sometimes
1: your mind no. goes right back to, you know, the moment in time. And I used to play that song a lot when I was lying down on my bed rest of with my daughter. I, yeah. I would find solace in your song while I was waiting to deliver her, you know.
0: You know, just thank you so much for just being so vulnerable with me and us and sharing I am going to put in the show notes some of the information that you, the very important information that you have highlighted in terms of, you know, getting help, where to go, especially for our listeners in Trinidad and Tobago, where they can get help, you know, recommendations for really good OBGYNs. I'm not advocating for anyone in particular, but, you know, you've had personal experience and I'm just going to be able to put it there so that people can access it and yeah so thank you keep doing the great work that you're doing let me know and let me know as well how we can contribute to the foundation okay no not a problem and
1: thank you so much for having me and giving me an opportunity um you know the more we talk about it, the less taboo things are and the more we you know we can get help you know rather than suffering in silence so
0: correct correct
1: i'm very grateful that you have this forum and i was very privileged
0: and honored to be asked to talk on it you know you're most welcome thank you so andrea have a wonderful rest of your day and hopefully we will see again soon maybe at panorama
1: yes and you stay safe yeah
0: you too okay Bye. Bye bye